Good to see so many of you out this morning. I was actually talking to a number of people this week from Auburn who said they weren't going to be here this Sunday, and I was convinced uh, that uh, I was going to be preaching to the praise team and to Richard. So uh, it's good to see a a bunch of you don't have plans either, like I didn't, uh, to be anywhere this weekend. It was actually a very stressful day yesterday because I took... Allison and the girls and Jack uh, up to Joy, and the girls are all counseling, and Jack, it's his first year being a camper, and I've done this many times, but it's the first time I've actually had to do anything other than just drive someone to camp and then stand at the vehicle and talk to people while Allison did all the arranging of the room for one of the kids, and uh, it was stressful with uh, Jack. With, with Graham, we figure Graham's had a good week of camp if he comes home with half of what he went with, clothes-wise. Uh, with Jack, I said to Allison when I left, if he actually has clothes left to wear when he comes home next week, uh, he will have done good. So uh, pr- pray for the kids, Jack's counselor. Uh, and in all seriousness, <laughs> a lo- lot of camps are starting this, I guess have started this past weekend and, and, and this coming week. So uh, commit yourself to pray for the camps. What an opportunity with, you know, 60, 70, 80 uh, kids uh, hearing about Jesus every day uh, and watching the example of the people that are serving them. Uh, It's just a wonderful opportunity for them. So let's keep them in mind. And Richard asked me this morning, was there anything that uh, else that he should be announcing? And there was something I totally forgot. Uh, There's a very special occasion coming up this week. And Pam Scott, special occasion coming up, birthday uh, Tuesday, I think it is. 25th wedding anniversary on Tuesday for Pam and Scott. Congratulations. Sorry for embarrassing you. <laughs> about a month ago, uh, about a month ago, we had someone come to our door at our house, uh, and he was quite distraught. Uh, he was the owner of nine horses and had just been told that where he's leaving his horses, uh, he was no longer going to be able to keep them there. And he literally was driving up and down country roads looking for people that may have room for some of his horses. And he happened upon our uh, property and saw we had a couple of empty fields and walked up to the front door and introduced himself and told us what his situation was and would there be any interest on our behalf of him le- having some of his horses uh, stay at our place. And so we worked out a deal, and he began bringing over his horses. And, and over the last few weeks, he's brought five of his uh, nine horses to our uh, f- hobby farm. And Allison, numerous times, has said to me, I have never seen anyone so consumed and concerned for their animals uh, as this guy. And, and, and willing to do anything. And he's been at our place in the middle of a storm, uh, getting his horses into the fields and out, making sure the fences are fine. And uh, uh, just, and this has all been happening while he's been dealing with some pretty severe medical issues. Uh, and so Allison keeps saying, I, I just can't believe how, the extent he will go. 
and how concerned he is uh, about his horses. And, and yet I've had a conversation with him just recently, and I realized that, you know, there is a limit to the extent even he will go for his horses. Uh, he has one horse that needs some uh, vet work, uh, but it's going to be very costly, and, and so he just doesn't think that he's going to uh, pay the money to, to have that procedure done. And he's realized that he can't keep nine horses anymore, so he's come to the point where he realizes he's going to have to sell uh, a number of horses. But still, the extent that he will go to in the care of these horses is, is quite extreme. Uh, and I know, and I've shared with you some funny stories of my experience kind of at the Green Acres location that we have, uh, my care for the animals and some of the funny situations that we have gotten into. Uh, and I realize that I'm doing things that I never dreamed that I would do with the animals that we have had. Uh, however, there's definitely a limit to what I will do. Uh, in the care uh, for my uh, animals. Uh, in fact, it was just this winter, we, were, we had maybe 15 hens. They weren't laying eggs anymore, but we were keeping them over the winter. Most farmers get rid of their hens when they stop laying eggs for the winter. Uh, and it was when the hydro guy came and told us, well, you know, you're paying about 4 or $5 a day to keep the water source heated for those hens that aren't laying eggs. And that was beyond my limit. And so those hens went away, uh, and I unplugged the water source. So I have definite limits. But, you know, I've been thinking about this guy with his horses, uh, and the series that we're doing, uh, messages that come from the heart. I was reminded once again of a passage from Scripture that speaks of a caregiver who knows no limits, that goes to the ultimate extreme for those Uh, in his care. Uh, The Bible often refers to us humans as sheep. Uh, And as we go through scripture, we find lots of stories about sheep and shepherds. The Bible talks about bad shepherds, evil shepherds. And and the the passage that the praise team just read to us talked about evil shepherds, bad shepherds. Uh, we, We also hear of shepherds that God has put in place to care for his children and how those shepherds Elders, for instance, uh, can improve themselves and be better shepherds. The Bible also speaks of a perfect shepherd. One who is good, one who is true, uh, in fact, one who is great. Uh, and, and the passage that came to my mind uh, as I've been thinking about this gentleman with his horses is John chapter 10. And so turn to John chapter 10, uh, and we're going to be looking at that. As I said, there's, there's quite, actually, someone got a pew Bible, maybe just read out what page John 10 is on. 582. Okay, we have competing pew Bibles. <laughs> okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 10. As I said, there's lots of passages in Scripture that talk about sheep and shepherds. Probably the most famous one is Psalm 23. Uh, Even those who don't come to church very often, who never enter the door of a church unless it's a wedding or a funeral, know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I'll not want. And and what a great psalm. A psalm that's read and and used by preachers and and facilitators uh, during circumstances where there's trouble, despair, discouragement, sadness, And what a great comfort it is for us to know that we have that shepherd. Uh, And in John chapter 10, 
Jesus assumes the role of the shepherd of the sheep. And then there's Ezekiel 34, a long passage, which I was told by the praise team this morning, uh, an obscure passage to an extent, but a very important passage. One that if we took the time to plummet for, plummet for all of its uh, riches uh, would, would take us weeks. Uh, and in Ezekiel 34, God is rebuking the religious leaders, the evil shepherds of the nation of Israel and speaks of a time that's coming where they will be judged. But in Ezekiel 34, God also speaks of a time where he'll gather his scattered sheep in the person of the Messiah. And as you read through Ezekiel 34, uh, it says that this promised Messiah, this one who will shepherd the flock for God, comes from the line of David. Well, actually, it's, it sounds like it's David, but David's been dead for 400 years. Uh, and so if we, we read other passages that give us some insight into Ezekiel 34, we would realize that this promised Messiah, this promised shepherd, comes from the line of David. And if we were to follow this promise further into Scripture, we come to Micah 5. And Micah 5 may also sound like an obscure passage until you hear what it says. A very well-known Christmas uh, passage. And here it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And if you follow this this line of promise right through to Revelation, uh, Revelation 7, you don't have to turn, Revelation 7, Verse 17, it says, for the lamb at the center before the throne. And if you you remember uh, Revelation, in in Revelation 5, uh, we find out that the the line of the tribe of Judah is also the lamb. uh, The sacrificial lamb, looking as he has been slain. Uh, And so here in Revelation 7, verse 17, it says, for the lamb at the center before the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so Ezekiel 34 gives us this promise that despite these evil leaders who are leading the people astray and not caring for them as God would want them to care for them, God is sending a promised shepherd, the Messiah from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, The one who's worthy to open the scroll. Jesus. And in John chapter 10, Jesus boldly claims to be that very shepherd. That very Messiah that's been promised for us. And Jesus contrasts the way he shepherds his flock to the way that the religious leaders, and especially the Pharisees, shepherd the flocks, the way that they led their people. And he distinguishes himself from them. 
And he exposes them and indicts them as the evil shepherds that way back in evil, uh, Ezekiel 34, God has uh, identified them to be. Ones who don't really care about their flock, don't really have an interest in the people. They care a whole lot more about themselves. They prey upon the sheep. They don't protect them from predators. They use them and abuse them for their own selfish gain. They feed themselves at the expense of the sheep. And so Jesus calls them out in John chapter 10. Well, what is it that set Jesus off? Why this, why this outburst? Why now claim to be this promised shepherd, this promised Messiah? Well, when we come to chapter 10 of John, it's really helpful to know the context of what has taken place. And, and in chapter 9, Jesus has found himself in a dispute with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. Disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, what caused this man's blindness? Was it because of his sin or because of the sin of his parents? And, and Jesus says, no, it's not, it's not because of the sin of anyone. He's blind so that the healing power of God can be demonstrated. And so Jesus heals this blind man. Well, the Pharisees hear about this. Uh, in fact, the blind man is brought to the Pharisees. And they're looking for anything to accuse Jesus of. Uh, the Pharisees have kind of set themselves up as the membership committee as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. And as far as they're concerned, the kingdom of God is for an elite few. And they determine who qualifies to get into the kingdom of God. And so the average Jew was long written off as far as the Pharisees were concerned. A blind man? Definitely written off. They have no concern, no care whatsoever for him. But they're very concerned about Jesus. And they want to find something that they can point their finger at to accuse Jesus of doing something wrong. And this is it. He healed on the Sabbath. And so he brings, uh, sorry, the blind, the blind man is brought before the Pharisees. And uh, they, they try to get this blind man who now can see to say something negative about Jesus. But he refuses to. In fact, he comes back again. And they push him and they prod him and they start insulting him. They finally say to him in John 9, it says in verse 26, Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the blind man who now can see said, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And so the Pharisees, because this man would not deny Jesus for who he was, throw him out of the synagogue. Uh, and in the Pharisees' mind, they were throwing him out way further than just the synagogue. They were throwing him out of the fold. 
there was no chance that this blind man who could now could see, who was defending Jesus, would ever have part of the kingdom of God. But they didn't realize that they were throwing this blind man who could now see right into the hands of Jesus. And, the, and chapter 9 ends where it says, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him now. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And so Jesus takes this one who the Pharisees thought was, they were throwing him out and receives him and, and guides him into the kingdom. Uh, and so we have a beautiful salvation story. And then as we move into John chapter 10, Jesus turns his focus back on the Pharisees. And there's so much we could cover in John chapter 10. And I'm not even going to attempt to, to even scratch the surface. But what I want to look at is this claim of Jesus. That he is the shepherd. He is this perfect promised shepherd. And why he is able to make uh, that claim. So if you've got your Bible, let's start looking at chapter 10. And the first claim that Jesus makes uh, is in the first five verses of chapter 10. And Jesus claims that he is the true shepherd. Verse 1, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so in identifying himself as the true shepherd, Jesus uses what might be for us kind of an, obs an obscure picture, but would have been totally understandable uh, to his audience then. Uh, he's using a typical familiar pasture scene to, to uh, make this claim that he is the true shepherd. And so in any city or village uh, of this time, uh, in this area of the world, there would be a number of flocks of sheep uh, grazing on the hillsides, uh, and at night, the shepherds would bring their flocks in, uh, for convenience sake, into a common sheep pen. Uh, and the sheep pen would have one door. And most likely, the shepherds would take turns being the gatekeeper. Uh, and there would be one shepherd, one gatekeeper, manning the door. Uh, and as the shepherd brought his flock, the door would be open. The, the flock would be brought inside the pen the shepherd would leave, the door would be shut. And in the morning, the shepherd would return. The gatekeeper would recognize uh, him or her as the legitimate uh, shepherd. And the door would be opened. The shepherd would call uh, to his flock. The flock would recognize the shepherd's voice. And the, uh, the flock would follow the shepherd out uh, into the pastures. And so Jesus is using this picture to claim that he is the true shepherd. And why is it? that we would see Jesus as the true shepherd? Why is it that we would believe Jesus when he claims to be this promised shepherd, this perfect shepherd? Because throughout history, there's been all sorts uh, who have claimed to be God's sent person to lead the flock, 
to lead the church, to bring new truth. What is it that Jesus says uh, justifies his claim to be the true shepherd? Well, in these five verses, there's three things that he says. First thing he says in verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the true shepherd because he enters the gate. Now, what's that mean? Well, we understand what it would mean if the shepherd came to the gate. Uh, Anyone else that was trying to steal a flock of sheep that wasn't theirs, they're not going to go to the front door. Uh, There's no surprise that robbers and thieves usually use side doors or uh, side windows or back doors. Uh, We always know there's something up when someone enters into a building uh, through a access that's not the normal expected way. And so Jesus says, I'm the true shepherd because I enter the gate. I enter the expected way. I, I enter the predicted way. And all through scripture, we read of these prophecies and these predictions of how the promised Messiah, the perfect shepherd, would come. And Jesus perfectly fulfills all those predictions and expectations. He doesn't have to come in the side door. He doesn't have to sneak through a window. He didn't have to climb over the pen. Jesus is able to enter the front door legitimately, just as predicted. So he's the true shepherd because he can enter the gate. And the second thing he says is that the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Again, if if someone who wasn't a shepherd went to that gate pen and said, hey, I'm here to get my flock of sheep, and the gatekeeper doesn't recognize him and said, well, those aren't your sheep, the door would remain locked. But Jesus says the true shepherd comes to the gate and through the gate, and the gatekeeper recognizes him and steps aside. And so most people believe that Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we read about John the Baptist. He's questioned, who are you? And and John the Baptist says, I am the voice in the wilderness, calling, make straight, prepare ye the way for the Lord. Make the path straight for the Lord. And then it says the next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching him. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the earth. And then as you read a bit further, John the Baptist talks about how his ministry was just to prepare for the ministry of Jesus. And that as Jesus increases, that John the Baptist must decrease. And so he's the true shepherd because John the Baptist has identified him and stepped aside so that Jesus' ministry can grow and increase. So he's the true shepherd because he enters through the gate. The gatekeeper recognizes him and steps aside. And then the third thing that Jesus says is that there's voice recognition. I think it's a fairly new technology, this voice recognition, where devices and and gadgets uh, can be set up to recognize the voice of its owner or user, and it will only work, whatever it does, when it hears, it recognizes the voice of, Uh, of its owner. And what Jesus says here is my sheep hear my voice and and they recognize my voice and they follow me. And so the picture here is of of a shepherd 
Coming to the gate, the gatekeeper opens the door because he recognizes him. And the shepherd calls out to his flock. The flock recognizes his voice and they follow the shepherd out. And I know that's true. I don't have sheep. But even with these horses that we just uh, have had come to our, our, our property, I can go out where there's four horses in one of our fields and I can make all the noises I've heard different farmers make. And I may get them to look up at me chewing, and then they just put their head back down. This gentleman goes out, and he just says whatever, and they come running to him. Because there's a voice recognition. And Jesus describes what this voice recognition is like, this calling out to his sheep. Uh, And in verse 3, it says the... um, It says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. It's a personal call. And so the call that Jesus places upon each one of our lives, it's a personal call. It's a personal transaction. He calls us each by name. And then it says that he leads us out. And it's interesting, the word that's used there is the exact same word that's used in chapter 9 when it says the Pharisees threw the blind man who could now see out of the synagogue. It's the same word Jesus says, I call you personally and I lead you out. I lead you out of darkness into light. I lead you out of lostness and despair into eternal life. And so Jesus calls us personally. He leads us out. And then Jesus says, I go before you. I don't know how much thought you've put into that, that Jesus goes before you. But that's the kind of person I want to follow. Very years ago, I spent a lot of time, and this is really dating myself because it wasn't four-wheeling, it was three-wheeling. Did a lot of three-wheeling, and one of the guys we went with uh, was unbelievably talented on the bike, but he, he would go anywhere, and he would always lead us. And if it looked dangerous, we would wait, he would go, and then he would come back and tell us whether we should follow him through or we better find another path. And Jesus says, I, I go before you. And there's such a confidence knowing that he goes before us, which means nothing should catch us uh, by surprise, uh, meaning that it surprised God. We should never find ourselves in a circumstance where God's going, wow, I never saw that coming. I know a lot of you have gone through different circumstances. This was just, this past week was the third uh, year anniversary of my brother-in-law's motorcycle accident where where he passed away. And I know my family has had much comfort knowing that God is in control, uh, that he is uh, the, the artist that's creating each one of our uh, lives' masterpiece. And we may not understand it all, uh, but we know that he goes before us. So he calls us out personally. He leads us from darkness into light. He goes before us. And it says that my sheep hear my voice. They trust me. And they follow They hear my voice, they trust me, and they follow. And you know, as I think of those four uh, aspects of this voice recognition, I'm really good with the first three, because I know that Jesus has called me. I know that he has led me into eternal life. I know that he goes before me. I do find great comfort. But it's that fourth characteristic 
where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize my voice. They trust me and they follow me. And I realize how often I fail in that area. How often am I even listening for the voice of God? How often am I distracted by the voices of the world, which I'm so eager to follow? A good friend of mine used to always say, how can you hear the word of God? Or sorry, how can you hear the voice of God when you don't recognize his voice? And how do you recognize his voice? It's by being in scripture and praying. You hear that every week here. But it's so important that we get into God's word and we spend time in prayer so that we hear his voice. So Jesus says, I'm the true shepherd. I entered through the expected way. John the Baptist has recognized who I am and he stepped aside. And my sheep hear my voice and they follow. And Jesus carries on in the balance of the verses I want to look at this morning to tell us that he not only is the true shepherd, but he's the good shepherd. And it's in looking at his goodness, what makes him to be the good shepherd, we can't help but realize his greatness. He's the good shepherd and he's the great shepherd. Look at verse 6. It says, Jesus used this figure of speech But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And and, and is isn't any surprise that the Pharisees didn't understand him. How how can you understand when you've already closed your mind to what's being said? The Pharisees only wanted to hear things from Jesus that lined up with their own agenda. And they'd already written off Jesus. And they were only looking for negative things that he said anyways. So the Pharisees, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about. It says, therefore, Jesus said again... Very truly, I tell you, and if you've got another translation, it might say, verily, verily, I say unto you. And whenever you see verily, verily, that means something really important is going to follow. And let me suggest to you that what follows next is of utmost importance for each one of us. It says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes out, sorry, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So so this first aspect of, of the goodness of Jesus, that he's the good shepherd, is that he is the gate for the sheep. Which has to be a little bit confusing because he's just said he's the shepherd. He's the true shepherd, but now he's saying I'm a shepherd that's also a gate. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Again, for those hearing this 2,000 years ago, they understood what Jesus was referring to. Because on a typical day when a shepherd had his or her flock out in the hills... In the afternoon, when the the sheep were getting a little tired, the shepherd would lead the sheep to a temporary shelter, uh, a corral uh, that they've constructed using brushes and shrubs and rocks and maybe trees, the side of the the mountainside, so that the sheep could enter into this corral. And the only way in or out would be the opening where the 
shepherd would lay across. And so a sheep can only get into the corral or get out of the corral through the shepherd. And so the sheep would go into the corral. The shepherd would block the entrance so that the sheep could enjoy the protection and security that was offered. And when the shepherd wanted to lead the sheep out to the pasture, he got up and allowed the sheep to go through the opening. And so Jesus is saying, I am the gate for the sheep. And what Jesus is meaning is that if you want to enter into the presence of God, if you want to enter into a relationship with God, if you want to access all the blessings that God intends for his children, you have to go through me. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the access. And there's that critical verse. Verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Salvation, eternal life, is only made possible through Jesus. Many have come, many today, who are offering all sorts of different ways of salvation, ways that we can be right with God. Just be good. Just do this. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the only way that you can enter into a right relationship with God. And understand the context where Jesus is saying this. He's not just saying, I am the gate, and if you go through me, you'll be saved from hell and and punishment for your sin. That's all true. But what Jesus is really saying is here, is, is I am the gate, come through me and you won't waste your life. uh, Verse 10 is often used by evangelists, especially the second part of verse 10. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But they often don't mention the first part of of verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We have allowed the world and culture to, to... Market Christianity as something that's rigid, that's boring, that's a list of rules and do's and don'ts and no fun. And I see that nowhere in Scripture. That's certainly not what Jesus is describing here. He's saying entering into a relationship with God through me is entrance into an abundant life, a full life. All the blessings, read Ephesians 1, all the blessings that God intends for his children are made possible through me and only through me. The world, the enemy, it only wants to destroy you. And those things that might seem fun for a season, they have no lasting value. The enemy will use those things to try to ruin lives. But Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. Through me, you experience eternal life and all the blessings that my father has for his children. And then he carries on in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And so Jesus literally makes the claim, I am the good shepherd. I love my flock unto death. As someone who has owned animals, I can relate to the hireling in in, in this passage. There's only a certain limit I will go to. And I don't know any animal that I would die for, knowingly give my life for. In fact, I don't know too many humans that honestly I would knowingly give my life for. Yet the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 5, that what, while we were yet sinners, ungodly, uh, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Philippians tells us that Jesus was willing to put his own self-interest aside. And instead, he took up the interest and the cause of his flock. Those who had turned their back on him and was willing to lay down his life for them. He is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. And it's in this goodness that he is the way to the Father, that he lays down his life so that we can come into the presence and into relationship with God the Father. It's in that that we see his greatness. His greatness that Jesus has the authority to lay his life down and to take it back up. He's not just our Savior. He is our sovereign Lord. Almighty, all-powerful. Why would we not choose to follow him? Jesus talks about the fact that, that there are other sheep that he needs to bring into the pen because the original audience would have understood this as, as Jesus talking about the elect of the, of the nation of Israel. But Jesus, we know that the scope of his ministry was so much greater. Remember Simeon in the temple as he's holding Jesus when Mary and Joseph bring him uh, in uh, to the temple on, on I think his eighth day old and Simeon holds Jesus and 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 he praises God saying my eyes have seen your salvation the glory of the nation of Israel and a light of revelation to the Gentiles and it says that Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon said when they realized how huge the scope of ministry uh, was that Jesus came to do that what he was doing making it possible for people to have their sins forgiven and to have a right relationship with God was for all nations, for all people of all times. So he's the Savior who has died for all. Almighty God. And then the last thing. Verse 19, it says, The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Jesus is the great shepherd because he becomes the dividing line for all of humanity. 
Why listen to him? And there are some who choose to hear him and to follow him. And there are those who think they're too sophisticated, too educated, too politically correct, too enlightened to need to listen to the voice of someone described 2,000 years ago. It doesn't change who Jesus claims that he was. But it does determine on what side of the sheep pen you're going to spend eternity. My brother John shared with me, and and with this I'll close, um, he was conducting a funeral just a couple of years ago, uh, and it was for the son of a very good... uh, the couple both were, were very good friends of my brother throughout his teens and, and so probably knew them for 30 or 40 years. Uh, and their son died tragically. Uh, the son and the daughter had turned their back on God some time ago. Uh, and at the funeral, my brother was sharing from Psalm 23. And as he got to the end of the message, he looked out at a very large audience uh, and encouraged them to be comforted by Psalm 23, that the Lord is our shepherd. And my brother said that he he looked out at his friend and his wife and and many of the people that he knew gathered there and through tears in their eyes could see a smile, the look of comfort, a look of trust. And as he was talking, he looked over to the other side and he saw the daughter, uh, the sister of the, the brother who had died. And she put her fingers up like this and pretended she had a gun. And she just went like this. Jesus is the dividing line for all humanity. Why listen to him? You either follow him as your Savior and your Lord, or you choose to reject him. There is no middle ground. Praise to him.